Imagine you've got three appointments this week. Yes, imagine you've got three appointments this week. The dentist, the doctor, and the optician, okay? Now in your mind, rank them in experience likability, all right? The dentist, the doctor, and the optician. Who thinks the visit to the dentist will be the most likable experience? Hey, there are three people. Three people have put their hands up to say that the most likable experience would be the dentist. What? Really good teeth. Really good teeth. Not because you fancy the dentist. No. There was a bit of a pause there. <laughs> okay, a likability. Who would say um, the doctor would be the most kind of likable experience? Yeah, a couple of you. Yeah, that's okay. Um, and then the optician? Yeah, loads of you. Fantastic, of course, yeah. Now, I know about all the opticians. I'm extremely short-sighted. Well, worn glasses since I was five years old. Those little round NHS ones, you know. Put me back around your ears. Some of you remember those. And, um, and then it was just a kind of revelation for me when I finally got some contact lenses, age 18, and the difference that made. Trying to play sport with toughened glass you know, spectacles on and all that. It's all changed. So some of you know what this is like. Um, and outside, if I don't have my lenses or glasses on, then the landscape are just kind of generally smudges of colour with some form here now and then. If I know my environment, like at home, I can kind of get around, but I'm really short-sighted. Um, but I'm super, if I take all my stuff off, I can see things pin sharp if it's this close to my face, all right? Some of you all know what that's like as well, perhaps. When we sit in the optician's chair, we get our eyes examined. We get shown letters on the wall in front of us. Maybe it's old-style optician, there might be actual physical letters on a chart, or more likely be some letters that are projected. The letters, though, one way or another, are real, projected or touchable. And being able to see means being able to see something that really is. So we get asked, okay, can you read me the third line down? And we'll say Q, Z, P, could be an R, blah, blah, blah. You know, what I love about the opticians, they never say you got that wrong, didn't you? <laughs> they just say, oh, well, let's just try the next line, you know, that kind of thing. If I told you there was somebody outside halfway down the church drive, and I asked you all to go and have a look and come back and tell me what you saw. Just from the church door, I haven't set that up. There isn't somebody and it's a bit awkward to do. But you get the idea, you went to the door, there was someone halfway down the drive, you came back and you talked about what you saw and told me. Most of you might tend to agree that maybe you saw someone who was, you know, maybe six foot, dark hair, wearing jeans, white t-shirt, um, had a cap on perhaps. So far, so good. But I reckon some of you, if you looked long enough, you'd come back and you'd say, actually, I saw a sad person, or a joyful person, or a person that was lost or confused or anxious, because that's how you see and perceive someone. So you saw something that was even more revealing of the whole truth of who that person was beyond blue jeans and a white T-shirt. So you meet someone for the first time then, and they're rude to you. Is that the whole truth of who that person is? Some of us make it so. Never forget how they treated us. Of course it's not the whole truth of who they are. Maybe they're just having a bad day. 
The story we enter today is brilliant because it puts us in the optician's chair as we get asked what it is we really see in this world. Who do we see? And this we do as we conclude this kind of mini-series helping us to become the most hospitable and welcoming people on the planet, particularly in our world of difference and diversity, when people are overlooked or belittled or abused or insulted or beaten because they are seen as being different. Maybe they're part of the LGBTQ plus community or they're neurodivergent or they're black or they're brown-skinned or from another race. Different background from us. We've looked at listening well to people that are different from us over these weeks. We've, we've talked about acknowledging our prejudices and, and our fears. And we talked too about being willing to be brave and speak into silences, into those silences which aren't good and helpful. Today we're considering our need to match our actions with our beliefs, to treat others who are different from us the way Jesus treats them, looking at them the way he sees them, to avoid hypocrisy, I suppose. So our story today puts us in the optician's chair where we are told that we don't see clearly or accurately the whole truth of who someone is or what they can become as they meet someone who can transform their lives. Jesus, of course, who sees each of our stories with pinpoint precision and still loves us. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. So begins John chapter nine. So straight away we see that Jesus sees somebody and it's great to sit, notice that he even sees someone because the, voice, the verse that comes before the one we've got printed here, the last verse is of chapter 8, so that Jesus is being hounded. People have picked up stones to stone him. But then as he's walking along, he's still able to see. We love people like that who are going through a tough time, but able to see and help and notice. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? causing him to be born blind. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the work day is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. You notice how Jesus will not have this person just as someone to talk about and explain. Which is what we spend a lot of our time doing. We talk about gay and lesbian people, but Jesus talks about people. In fact, he doesn't talk about, he talks with. He wants to encounter people and engage with them. I wonder how the tone of our conversations about somebody who is disabled would be if that so-called disabled person was in our room whilst we were talking about ability and disability. I wonder how our talk about those who are neurodivergent, who are ADD, no, there's a subtle he between ADHD and ADD, and uh, say dyspraxia or dyslexia or all those sorts of things. How would it be our conversation if they are with us? Or if we were having a conversation about what we as Christians feel about the lay and gesbian and trans community and them being Christians and all that we are brought up and taught, whatever that might be. But to have someone from the lay or gay or 
trans community sat with us. I wonder how that would change the tone of our conversations. Jesus said this and then he spat in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash the p- in the pool of Siloam, Siloam which means scent. This is where sometimes ministry with Jesus, encountering Jesus gets a bit messy, doesn't it? Actually, so we are going to be putting our prayer ministry team on a particular training uh, programme about spitting into the mud and making some paste so that when you come up, when we get back to prayer ministry, we can do that sort of thing with you. I'm just joking, okay? But ministry with Jesus in this instance, and sometimes for us, can be messy. There's mud, there's spit, there's Jesus' direct speech. You know, Jesus is the disturber of our lives. He's the challenger of our lives, even when he's putting us on the way to discovering more of who he made us to be and setting us free. Yes, a future with Jesus always going to be challenging, disrupting, but life-changing. I wonder how disturbed you feel your life is at the moment. Disturbed by what's going on in our world and around us. Disturbed when you ask Jesus... Or you say to Jesus, don't, Jesus, don't get me out of this mess I'm in, but Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me amidst all this? Is the far more mature and wise question to ask when we feel unsettled. And it's costly for this man as well, this encounter with Jesus, not because of the mess and the wondering what's going on, but still blind, with mess on his face, he walks to the pool to wash. He probably knew where it was, or or maybe someone helped him along the way. Go, Jesus says. And he challenges us to consider this man's future as we watch him go. What will become of him? What will happen next? The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why? Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him all right, but others objected. It's not the same man at all, it just looks like him. Interesting, even their seeing comes under scrutiny here, doesn't it? He said, it's me, the very one. Stop talking about me, I'm here, encounter me, talk with me, he's saying. Just what we've been saying A man named Jesus, he says, made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. This all looks like a pretty lonely journey for a now-sighted man, doesn't it? Even his relatives and friends are talking about him. They're wanting explanations. Maybe that's what happens when God does something significant or small, in smaller large terms in our own lives that you know, something's changed and now it all feels different. If you've ever had God change a habit of yours and you say, yeah, I'm going to break that habit, I'm going to smash that, I'm going to get up earlier, I'm going to do a different devotional study or there's something I'm going to give up that's not been too good for me, whatever it might be, and you, you get out in there into this new place going through life and then suddenly it can feel like, Oh, how am I going to get on with those, without those regular securities around me, those things that I use to help me control my, my anxiety, whatever it was, and suddenly I'm here, and it can be a lonely place, and maybe that's what he's thinking. I've, I've got my sight, and instead of it, 
enjoying this with me. They're talking about me, getting on to me. So where is he? They ask. And he replies, I don't know. Shouldn't Jesus be right there with him, arm around him? As a lot of the time in this story, Jesus isn't present in the story. He leaves the man to his own devices, leaves the man to go on his journey, leaves the man to make some decisions, leaves us sometimes, even when God's at work in our lives, a little bit confused and a little bit lost, where someone will say to us, where is your God then amongst this mess and muddle and news and some good things seem to be happening, but where is this God then? Where is he? And maybe from sometimes we found ourselves saying, I don't know. And this story tells us, I think, that that's okay. So early in the story, there's this doubt and uncertainty. Maybe we too have been left with our wondering. They march the man to the Pharisees. Oh, this is going to go well, isn't it? This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. Of course it was. The Sabbath was given by God to us for our restoration. A day, maybe for us a season or times seasons, depending on our week, when we can be restored and not be in control, not seek to be God and rule and run everything, but to sit back, to be restored and refreshed, rested. But the Pharisees represent a very different kind of religion. This kind of religion will tie you up in fear and anxiety. This type of religion, it will close in on you and bind you up. It'll make you feel like you're never quite good enough for God. Has your religion ever treated you like that at times? I know at times mine has. It's the Pharisees' religion. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said, he put clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Folks, we can keep the testimony simple. <laughs> Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. You see how their minds are working. I don't care how much good has happened to you. You were late. You didn't abide by that rule. You didn't dress right. You got mixed up with your words. Others counted, countered, how can a bad man do this miraculous, these miraculous God-revealing things? So there was a split in their ranks. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. Didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it he now sees? His parents said, we know he is our son. That's good. And we know he was born blind. But we don't know how he came to see. Haven't a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. Bracket, his parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand with this, was the, that this was the Messiah, would be kicked out of the meeting place. 
That's why the parents said, ask him, he's a grown man, close brackets. Tied up in fear and anxiety. That's what the wrong sort of religion can do to us. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told him, give credit to God, we know this man is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure, I was blind and now I see. Have a think, not to give any feedback now. What's your story in one compelling good news sentence? What would it be? Your story. It might be your story right now that is compelling and true for you and is full of good news. Something to go away and think about. But this man nailed it, didn't he? They said, why did he do that? Uh, sorry, they said, why did he do, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over, you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? Hey, he's getting his confidence up now, isn't he? He's going, liking this guy. Bit of pushback here. With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out on the street. That's what we do with people who don't conform, isn't it? If you don't fit into the way we do things around here, the culture of how things are around here, then we'll argue, we'll talk about you, we'll argue with you, but at the end, we'll shut the door and you'll be on the other side of it. And we as the church have done that in so many ways over the generations and centuries to people who we may consider are different because of their sexuality or their gender identity or their wrestling with their mental health or physical illness or disability. We might not have put a sign up saying you're not welcome here, but one way or another, by our words, our body language, our lack of invitations, we've perhaps given that message. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to St Michael's or anybody here, okay? Hmm. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went out and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a term Jesus sometimes used of himself. The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. And just, just even that sentence, we just take that as just, yeah, point him out to me. The man couldn't see till a little while ago. Imagine him thinking, I've oh, seen all these faces, all these, wow, wow. I never knew you thought you looked like that. Point him out to me, he says. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognise my voice? Master, I believe, the man said and worshipped him. And now Jesus goes on to speak about spiritual seeing and spiritual blindness as the story ends. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, 
and those who have never, who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. In this story, we've heard how Jesus sees our need and wants to encounter us. We see how he acts to bring someone's life into a greater freedom of what they were made to be. In this case, a man born blind. And I want to be very careful here. All those people that I've mentioned of difference and diversity, I'm not using this story to say that Jesus needs to heal them. Particularly for those who are same-sex attracted, and loads of the science is saying that is how those people are born. It's not always like we used to think, a chosen lifestyle. It's how they are. What happens with that as they grow up, how they're treated and involved and engaged with is really, really important. But what I'm not saying is here, as as we've done this stuff about, okay, Malk saying that we should pray for gay and lesbian people to be healed of their sexuality. That is a very dangerous path. So if you've read anything in the news over the last few months, you know there's been quite a lot about the danger of conversion therapy. Government's working on the bill on that at the moment. So that the really worst side of all that stuff, and I can point you towards stuff to read or films to watch from that if you want, can be stopped. So, Jesus' religion is active, the Pharisees is reactive. Jesus judges by where somebody headed, where they're going. The Pharisees judge where someone's come from. Jesus is hugely inclusive. They are exclusive rule keepers. Jesus in his life and ministry attracts and draws people to him. Their religion terrorises and paralyses people with fear, like those parents. Jesus sets people free. The wrong kind of religion looks to control people. Jesus is deeply personal, but that wider institutional religion is anything but. So as we conclude this mini-series then, we've been exploring some of the ideas to help us become, I've been saying, the most welcoming and hospitable people on the planet. It's a big ask, isn't it? But why not? Why not here, in this place? in your offices, in the places where you work, at school, wherever we go and gather as Christians. Jesus is our model here. Why do we want to be this kind of people? Why should we care? Because as followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to show this kind of welcoming love to every person that comes our way. Paul's prayer in the letter to the Christians in Ephesus and to all who were here is this. Well, part of it is this. May you know with all God's people how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. What struck me as I read that again recently is how it says with all God's people. Who are the ones who belong to God that we are yet to meet and receive gifts from? And so in the context of recognising over these weeks that we as church and individuals haven't got a great record of showing Christ's love. We've been challenged, I hope, to recalibrate our faith, to discover again what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. 
We've been encouraged to listen well to someone whose story and life experience is different from ours. How's that going since we started this series some weeks ago? We're encouraged to recognise our own fears, to acknowledge our prejudice, to speak into silence, to admit our hypocrisy, so that our actions match our beliefs. That person will be in front of us this week. May be seen by us as Jesus sees them, as someone to listen to, not talk about, someone to engage with, to include and to love. Not as someone seen and judged by where they've been, but by where they're going with Christ's help. Amen.